and welcome to our launch edition of our Havas Education podcast, Talking Eds. I'm Tash Kint and I head up the client services team at Havas Education. And today I'm delighted to be having a conversation with Andrew Hargreaves, co-founder of DataHE and former director of UCAS. And I'm sure most of you who are listening today are very familiar with Andrew, but in case you aren't, let me briefly introduce you to him. So Andrew is an experienced executive director with expertise in customer behavior and data-driven marketing with over a 10-year career in strategic consulting. And previously, Andrew was at UCAS holding several different roles, including director of marketing and customer and director of UCAS media. And I've shortened it down to that, Andrew. I hope that's okay. Uh, Tash, it's a, a generous and accurate reflection of who I am. And thanks ever so much for having me today. It's an absolute pleasure to be here and to be given a chance to, to talk to the sector through this new medium for Havas. So really looking forward to, to having a chat with you. Great. Well, welcome and thank you very much for being our first guest. As I mentioned today, we thought that we would cover off some thoughts around um, 2022 and what that's going to bring. Um, a little bit of future forecasting, if you like. Um, and we did have a, a brief chat beforehand, but um, just if we if we start off looking into our crystal ball, um, what exactly do you think 2022 is going to look like overall? And uh, give some explanations around why you think that. Uh, well, what a, a great and challenging question. And I love the fact that you couched it in gazing into the crystal ball, because, of course, like everyone, I don't have one of those. Uh, but but we do have we do have some data and uh, I'm often keen to tell express to clients there's no such thing as data for the future. There's only data for the past and you have to learn lessons from it. And so what would I say about 2022? The first thing I'd say is broadly, from a recruitment perspective, the sector can be optimistic. There's plenty of demand in this system uh, for HE, for both undergraduate and for postgraduate. And that demand is just going to keep growing. So if, so if we look at the lens uh, of the world through the lens of recruitment, healthy, buoyant, lots of it should be optimistic. Uh, now, that's not to dismiss all the other challenges that the sector's got. And, and our, there'll be listeners now saying, does he understand how difficult some of this is? But if we look at an aggregate level, very, very healthy system. Uh, now, that's not to say there won't be winners and losers, just as there have been over the past decade. But, but why do I say um, there's going to be plenty of demand? Well, the first reason is the population story. Everybody is aware of it, it's underway, and it's happening now. And by 2022, it's, we're going to have another year of it. Uh, the application rate is rising, so the number of people who want to go to university is increasing, particularly among school leavers. And the sector demonstrates that it wants to wants to recruit them. So, yeah, we, we should be excited and optimistic. You could be in another market where it's tanking. We're definitely not in that space. 
Not working in travel or hospitality at the moment. Indeed, so indeed. <laughs> briefly happy about our situation. So I'm interested where um, we talked about the application rate rising. Um, now, some of that might have been impacted by the pandemic, assume, assuming that people think that university is a is a good option as opposed to, you know, taking a year off or or going into work. But do you do you see any other specific reasons? Does the data tell us any other reasons why that application rate is rising? Uh, well, it's always been rising, Tash. It's been rising since uh, day zero. Um, it, every year the application rate rises. So there's a, there's a thing about how many people there are, but more critically, what proportion of those people send us a signal that they want to go to university. And so you're quite right, things like COVID can sharpen people's focus and it can create other motivations for people. So we generally see, for example, that when the job market's uh, under strain, uh, older people come and apply to university. But the application rate of an 18-year-old school leaver in this country just increases and increases and increases. Now, um, if a global pandemic can't suppress that, that demand for HE, I'm trying to imagine what catastrophe could reach us prior to 2022 that would suddenly uh, halt this train of appetite for HE. So if you're asking me with a thousand quid in my pocket, would I put money how much of that would I put on the app rate rising in 2022? 900 quid, if the odds are good enough. I'm pretty confident the application rate will keep rising. Great, I'll get down the bookies. Then. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that application rate, as you mentioned there, does have a different impact on the different age groups. So uh, you talked about the mature student base growing. Um, and again, I think some of the stats show us that that is across particular courses, which you can, you know, which you may expect or may not expect. And maybe you could go into some detail around that. But I'm also interested around, um, you know, our WP audience. Are we also seeing that application rate rise? Is that less, uh, less of an increase than more generally? What, what do the numbers tell us there? Yeah, re really great, uh, really great topic. Um, you're absolutely right. We've got to separate out 18 year olds and other ages. So, so stick with that message for 18 year olds, the application and in fact, the entry rate to HE for 18 year olds is increasing. Uh, for mature students, it has a different set of patterns. It has a phenomenon. I'm going to get a little bit technically attached, if you'll forgive me. We call it cohort depletion. If you imagine that so many people have been applying and entering HE at age 18, they've already got an undergraduate degree, so they're not going to come back again at 20, 21, 22. And the proportion of people with that degree at 18 to 21, uh, uh, three-year tenure, are now depleting, so they're not coming forward. So actually, the entry rate of mature students is falling. And we encourage universities to understand what their exposure is to this phenomenon because it's unique to every single university, depending on their catchment by age and by location. But broadly, expect demand from mature students to decline and expect 
demand from young 18 year olds to increase. Uh, that entry rate amongst 18 year olds is rising for all groups. So to your point of WP, uh, but they're just rising at different rates and from different starting points. So we might have some people with an entry rate of over 50% and others uh, with an entry rate closer to 20%, but they're all going in the same direction. They're all, all rising year on year uh, on year, as I say, to slightly different rates. Now on your point about matures, again, there's a couple of really interesting points in your question. One about subject. So cohort depletion is a, a phenomenon at the aggregate, but there are two subjects that break the rule. One is nursing, because it tends to have appeal to slightly older students. By the way, it's incredibly difficult for me to say slightly older when I'm talking about 19 and 20 year olds. Um, so that's one. The other one is education, uh, not to the same degree as nursing, but as a category it can tend to have a slightly different appeal. So if we take those two to one side, then that's an exception. And then the other one is I, mu I must call out uh, for our colleagues in Northern Ireland and Scotland because they still have a number control in those two countries. Cohort depletion doesn't happen to the same extent. So for, for our Scottish and Northern Irish colleagues, um, be, that phenomenon's not real for you. For Wales and England it is, but it's much more uh, distributed in Scotland and Northern Ireland, as I said, because they don't have they don't have the number control. But broadly, if we add the numbers up at aggregate, mature depleting and young people, um, I often think of it as where's the main stage at Glastonbury? So matures will become the poetry tent uh, and 18 year old school leavers will be will be the main stage act, really. Brilliant. If only university was Glastonbury. <laughs> Very similar, but um, and just in terms of when we look at this um, applications coming through and I, I've just forgotten my question there that I was going to ask so I may have to come back to that but just in terms of um, thinking about where these people are coming from so if we look at for example the EU and obviously that has had some considerable impact um, of course since Brexit but um, and also the pandemic having an impact as well. But can you explain a bit more about the numbers that we're seeing from there and what our predictions are going into the future for that side of things? Yeah, well, if we if we think about the pools in three broad domiciles, so that's that narrative I've just given about sunlit uplands of demand. Uh, let's just categorise that as UK. So demand for UK domiciled students to varying degrees across the countries and regions is strong. Then we've got non-EU international students, similar story, uh, varying rates of population. But when we look at the data, the proportions of people choosing to study in the UK from the non-EU sending countries just keeps on rising. And we've got different uh, populations demographics playing out across the world, but pretty much with the odd exception, the pool of students from sending countries is, is increasing. So looking really strong internationally. Again, if we look, if we look, Tash, you know, we can have a, a year with no aeroplanes in the sky and still the application and entry rates are, are, are rising. So I keep wondering, what would you have to throw at the system to, to, to suppress demand or for it to disrupt demand? Now, the EU is a different story, as you rightly point out. It's it's had this sudden 
sharp and dramatic drop in the 2021 cycle. And we've analysed this at DataHG as best as we can, because two interesting things happened. We had the, the pandemic that you rightly referred to, but we also had the fee status change. And when you get two disruptive effects, it's, it's sometimes hard in data to work out what's going on. But we've had a good look at it and it looks like it's the fee status and not the pandemic to us. Uh, and, and broadly, uh, it's the older Eastern European countries that have suffered the biggest and most dramatic effect. And they are most affected in, in GDP uh, and economic terms than uh, than West Western European countries. Uh, so the numbers have fallen. But what's interesting is the numbers have fallen to rates where they now just look like another international sending country. So my advice to colleagues would be think of your Western European sending centre countries in the same way as you think about countries like North America, like Canada. High GDP, high middle class, highly mobile and with an entry rate much more comparable to one of those types of economies. It's fair to say that the uh, arrangements under the, the EU model inflated the entry rates from EU countries. They've now just normalised and they will now attract uh, the same sort of benefits as a, as a non-EU international country in terms of in terms of fee status uh, and diversity. And by the way, colleagues, although it's on some levels disappointing to see the application rate fall, in numbers terms, one year of 18-year-old rises is enough to offset all of that loss. So the sector doesn't need to worry about it in numerical terms. I understand it might have other motivators and considerations, but don't. what they mustn't do is just let it go as if, oh, that's it, the EU's finished. As I said, those high GDP, highly mobile countries will still be sending students to the UK in, in large numbers and it's just a decision for each university whether they want to be in that that market or not. Definitely that's really interesting and do you see particular markets so the non-EU as we mentioned so you know traditionally China, India are they still seeing that impact of growth? I saw some numbers recently where a China didn't seem to have been impacted at all in terms of applying to students applying to university. Is your prediction that that just keeps on going up as well? Well, um, there are two titans in the system and you mentioned both of them, China and India. What we just It's just a scale thing. When you're dealing with, you know, India's got 23 million 18 year olds, China, something like 20 million and just about to start a population recovery. And in fact, their entry rate to the UK is minute, 0.04%. So these are tiny proportions of the Chinese population. But all you get, all you need is a marginal point one move and you suddenly get an extra 2000 people. So in numerical terms, they look fine. What I can't predict is any forces outside of numbers and appetite. Again, what I would say to universities is international recruitment for lots of reasons is riskier than domestic recruitment. It just simply is. Uh, there are geopolitics at play. There's culture. Uh, international relations, it, it doesn't matter, uh, socioeconomics, currencies, all these things are factors. 
Whereas inside the island and, and within a domestic setting, those variables are less volatile. The demand is there. The latent demand is there. What universities have to keep in our view in balance is their risk appetite, their risk exposure, and how do they make sure they've got a shape balance between domestic and international recruitment that doesn't leave them over overexposed. I can see universities in this year's data who have been disproportionately affected by this EU disruption. And it's just simply that they were not in balance, that they were overexposed to this phenomenon. And, and universities will have to do the same in these international markets. Be aware the pools are fine. There's no shortage of demand. Uh, but how much exposure do they want to that to that volatility? Yeah, great. And just coming back to uh, our more microcosm here within the UK market. So I've remembered my question from earlier, <laughs> which was around um, the winners and losers in the different tariff groups, if you like. So um, I'm thinking particularly around last year's clearing um, and everything around the exams and what happened with the grades. Um, and some key winners, I think, in terms of the potentially the higher tariff versus the lower tariff. Is that a general trend that you see going forward or was that just particularly around the uh, last year's U-turn from the government? Uh, well, I'm afraid to say it's a, it's a bit of a longer term trend, trend than anything, a uh, single shock to the system. Um, if we think about the data in two halves really so we've got the pre 2012 world and if you look at university recruitment pre 2012 there's there's just no divergence between medium high low, low tariff universities it's almost a flat line like because the system and the the ballasts in the system were keeping every the dynamic fairly fairly stable a little bit of variability but but really it, just no movement 2012 happens and the government liberates the market and and so three things happen high tariff shoot off into the stratosphere so this is the proportion of the total recruitment that they're taking uh, and many of them are now 50 percent bigger than they were back in 2012. middle tariff just about stay above above the average line and low tariff drop below the line some of them are 50 percent smaller that, than they have been and that trend has been with us for a decade and what's really fascinating about last year is if you remember, there was a lot of fear in the system. And I know there were lots of low tariff universities lobbying government to introduce the number control because they thought the high tariff universities would soak everybody up. Last year was the first year where high tariff, middle and low all grew. So there is capacity in the system for high tariff universities to grow, not at the expense of low tariff universities. Uh, and it was it was a really interesting outcome at a time that we thought high tariff would soak it up. Now, now this year and, and 2022 are going to be really interesting. We're already getting signs in 2021 that the high tariffs, or some of them, I mustn't speak for the whole sector, but some of them are saying enough, we're full. So the offer rate is down by 5%, so that they're not going to make as many offers. Now, that means some people are displaced. Now, bear in mind, Tasha, we're only just at the beginning of this big surge in demand. So by 2022, they'll have 
a large cohort from 2020, a large cohort from 2021. So 60% of their three years will be a, a maximum cohorts. I think we're going to see the offer rate in 2022 drop as well. Now, this is potentially good news for middle and low tariff universities uh, because they should be feeling some sort of trickle down effect, particularly the middle tariff universities, those that those that high research, middle tariff, just below below the high tariff group. I've got some particular institutions in mind. They should be ready to catch them. What they've got to do, though, is make sure their brand and their status in the market makes those people who've been who who would in the past decade have thought they were going to a Russell group or a high tariff university and suddenly they're not. That's quite a, a psychological shift for those young people. What the universities like UEA, Leicester, Kent, Reading, they, they've all got to be ready to say we are a viable brand alternative for you um, because the biggest risk is that people think deferral is a good option and, and it really won't be because you're just deferring into another year with more with with more demand uh, so there is a story of tariff play now high tariff do well lower tariff do do worse broadly i should point out there are always exceptions to any rule uh, but broadly that is the that is the trend yeah very interesting and just in terms of um sort of drawing this to a close in a minute uh hopefully we've kept everybody entertained thus far but um just in terms of the impact of um thinking now like with the auger review and things going on with uh the technical colleges and fe colleges is there are there any trends that you can sort of foresee or is there any data telling you anything looking into the future of the impact that these things might have on our universities out there? Uh, no data because I'm unfortunate they're all they're all potential. I, I think I'd say two things on this. One is the sector tends to be easily distracted by the potential future. Um, that's not a criticism of colleagues, but it puts a bit of drama into the system. And I think we tend to be disproportionate in our anxieties and concerns about the future. I, I think back to um, uh, changes and, and, you know, COVID was going to destroy international. That's it, we're finished. And um, we weren't. Uh, so that's the first thing I'd say is don't allow these or be proportionate with these potential changes. Don't allow them to become bigger than they are. Uh, and the second thing I'd say is so far, absolutely nothing policy wise that anybody has done has suppressed demand for HE. Anything. So fees, you can take fees from 3,000 to 9,000 and demand goes up. You can have a year of posters in university windows saying help, starving, food parcels, COVID, locked in room and demand goes up. You can take aeroplanes out of the sky and tell people they're not going to get any in lecture theatre teaching and demand goes up. You can throw hundreds of millions of pounds of government money at alternative pathways and still demand for HE goes up. So I would always keep that central. Now I'm not I'm not Mystic Meg. I can't say whether there's an innovation coming that suddenly will disrupt that. There's only one thing that disrupts demand for HE and it's a number control. We can see it in Scotland and Northern Ireland and the effect it has on participation there. We can see 
I think in Wales last year, the SNC lasted for about three hours. I think it lasted for about three days in England when they reintroduced it. It's a dangerous policy environment. Uh, it's the only thing we can find in the data that curtails demand. So I just, I would talk about those things in a university, but I wouldn't get, I wouldn't get distracted by them and I wouldn't spend too much of my time and effort on them. Back to my Glastonbury metaphor, keep your eye on the main stage. 18 year olds leaving school with three A-levels, living away from home is the main stage act at the minute. Brilliant, wow. I think if we could all have all of your positivity, we'd all be uh, in a much happier place. <laughs> so <laughs> I can only thank you for um, providing us with absolutely excellent insights and hopefully excellent future insights as well. So um, yes, uh, we, we shall be going down the betting shop, as I mentioned, and uh, sticking some money on, on that. Um, it's been absolutely fascinating talking with you today, Andrew, and I, I really, really appreciate you coming on board and helping us to launch this uh, podcast series. And uh, hopefully you'll be able to come back in the future as well and uh, see if all of your predictions actually came true. <laughs> let's let's hope so. And Tash, it's been a, an absolute pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks very much. Just in terms of uh, we can do a bit of a plug now, I think, for you. Uh, so if people want to speak with you more, um, I'm sure that they can go to your website um, as the first port of call at uh, datahe.uk. That's correct, isn't it? That's That's right. Excellent. And of course, if you'd like to come through and speak with Havas Education, uh, you can come through. We do have a new website which is launching uh, very soon. So by the time this is released, hopefully HavasEducation.com will be up and live or else you can come through to me directly as well at Natasha.Kint at HavasPeople.com. And Again, just once more, Andrew, I'd just like to say thank you and uh, thank you for being our first guest. Pleasure. Speak to you later.